Welcome to the People's Church Sermoncast. You can join us for our live worship services on Sundays at 10 a.m. People's Church is located at the corner of Mill Plain and Andreessen in Vancouver, Washington. Please visit our website at peoplesvancouver.church to learn more about our community and how you can get involved. And now for this week's sermon. You're listening to the sermon cast from People's Church of Vancouver, Washington. You're invited to join us on Sunday mornings at 10:30 a.m. We're located at 6801 East Mill Plain Boulevard in Vancouver, Washington. For more information, visit us at peopleschurchvancouver.org. Now for this week's sermon. But when the Holy Spirit speaks, and I close that Bible, and the Holy Spirit said, "That is your subject matter." You need to delve into the tent of meeting a little bit. So we're going to do that today. I'm going to give it to you in a nutshell here. Exodus 33 is the story of Moses setting up the tent of meeting. One thing I want you to notice that I probably may not mention again, but he set it up outside the camp. There was too much stupidity going on in the camp on behalf of the Israelites. There was too much sin that they were dealing with trying to figure out their whole situation. So the Lord told him, look, take it out there to the ex, the uh, the outskirts of town, so to speak, and set up the tent of meeting. And um, if you're going to dwell, you're going to dwell in my presence in that little enclosure. And the glory of God was protected, the Bible says, in that place. The glory of God, God himself, came in and filled that place. Now, Sandwiched between Exodus 33 is Exodus 32 on one side, 34 on the other side. Obviously, they kind of fall numerically, don't they? And I thought this was worth mentioning. 32, chapter 32 was the golden calf debacle. Oh, my Lord. Moses is up on the mountain. He's been gone a while. People are freaking out. We don't have a leader. What's the problem here? So they go to Aaron, who's exercising bad judgment, poor judgment, bad leadership, that whole thing. I got a kick out of Aaron's comment about, well, you know, they came to me, they needed a little bit of a, a, a something to worship, and so we threw all their gold jewelry in a pile and stuck it in the fire, and out popped a calf. Oh, my goodness. I, I, when I looked at that, I laughed. I just thought, oh, my goodness. The man of God missed the boat on that one. And what happened out of this whole thing was God and Moses were up on the mountain, and God says, look, you better go back down the mountain. There's some stuff going on down there. And God was ticked. He was really ticked and we'll we'll find that out while i'm thinking of it before i forget in your devotions this week read all of 32 all of 33 and all of 34 we won't hit all the verses we won't hit all the subject matter today but if you read those three chapters in succession it will give you a good feeling and a good idea of what was going on so as moses comes down off the mountain and god sends him down because like i say they're both pretty upset over the situation he gets down to the bottom of the hill and he hears the party music going on and he know they're not in, he knows they're not in the middle of a worship service. He can tell by what they're doing. He breaks the, ta- the tablets, the Ten Commandments, commandments. He takes them and he shatters them over a, a stone there at the bottom of the, the foot of the mountain, the Bible says. Then he goes in the mount, then he goes into the camp, shuts down the party and told the Levites, who were basically priests in the house of God, okay, go out there and kill 3,000 people. Let's clean this mess up a little bit, okay? No, seriously, read it. I'm telling you. Uh, God was not a happy camper that day. 
And Moses was just following in instructions. 3,000 people, the Bible says in chapter 32, 3,000 people died that day at the hands of the Levites. Then we have chapter 34. God's kind of cooled off a little bit. Um, he tells Moses, hey, let's get another set of those stone tablets put together. Let's get them designed out, carved up. Let's go back up here on the mountain. Let's try this thing again. Yeah. And, God, and 34 deals with God's promise both to Moses and to the Israelites. Um, his covenant with Moses and generations before. There, God gave out some very specific instructions. Uh, I'm not a big fan of the Old Testament, but I'm always amazed, because I get bogged down in it a little bit. I'm always amazed at how specific God's instructions were to the people of God. He didn't mess around. He, he dialed it in, you know. Then they dealt with Moses and his radiant face. He shone like the noonday sun because he'd been in God's glory and they made him put a veil over his face. But when he went back into the tent of meeting, he thought, get me some more sunshine of Jesus. Take that veil off and get me a, a little bit better tan than what I had before I went in. The glory of God shone round about. With that in mind, that's kind of the preface to this whole thing. Let me share this little story with you to get us going here. You already found Exodus 33. That's a good thing. When electricity became available in remote rural areas, one woman went to great trouble and expense to have the electricity installed in her home. A few months after the wiring was installed and the power was turned on, the power company noticed that the home didn't use hardly any power at all. Fearing that there was a problem, they sent a meter reader out to check on the matter. The meter reader saw that the woman was indeed working or the power was indeed working properly, and then they asked the woman, do you use your electricity? The woman replied, of course we do. We turn it on every night to see to light our lamps, and then we turn it off again. Now, when I read that story, the thought that crossed my mind, that's kind of goofy, don't you think? Kind of crazy to think that having all the power you need piped into your home, but only using enough to just barely get by. And my reason for mentioning that is that's what a lot of Christians do. We come to church week in and week out, but we never tap the resource of the power and the presence of God in our lives. Amen? Come on, don't shout me down now. Let me ask you this. How come so many people will go out of their way? They'll come to church. They'll put on their Sunday duds. They'll come to church on Sunday. And then have very little relationship to do with God the rest of the week. They have access to it, obviously. And that takes me to Exodus 33, uh, beginning in verse 7. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitched it outside the camp some distance away, calling in the tent, calling it the tent of meeting, and anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances of their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. And as Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance, while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped each at the entrance to his own tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. And then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. 
There's four things I want to share with you today that we're going to learn from this tent of meeting, I hope. I hope that we can all learn something new and fresh today. If you're taking notes, write this down. Number one, Moses' time with God was deliberate. Moses couldn't just hang out in his tent and watch TV, watch the latest ball game or the news or whatever. Boy, has the news been depressing lately or is it just my imagination? Okay. But Moses' time was with God was deliberate. He set his heart, he set his mind, he set his face toward that tent. He walked outside of the camp and into the tent, and that's where he met with God. Now, little groundwork here. Moses was around 85 years old at this time, okay? He had had the best access to God since the days of Adam and Eve, Okay? He had the best access to God of any person that had lived since Adam and Eve. All he had to do was to get in God's presence was simply climb up the mountain. And up the mountain, there was God. He'd be in his presence. In fact, the Bible says the power and the presence of God was so powerful, so manifest, that Moses could live in that presence for extended periods of time without food or water. He didn't need nourishment. He was basically living at the high-octane pump of God's presence, okay? Exodus 34 and 28 tells us he stayed 40 days up on the mountain, 40 days, 40 nights, and he was completely sustained. However, Moses has this small problem. Back at home, there's 3 million people that he is leading, okay? And these are 3 million slaves. They didn't have the first clue on how to take care of themselves, how to think for themselves, how to react to situations, how to find God on their own. You see, they'd been slaves all their lives. They didn't know anything different. When they left Egypt, they had been slaves, the Bible says, for 430 years. According to my Google Drive, uh, looking that up, that was about eight generations of people who had lived in slavery. And all of a sudden, they're out on their own. They're hiking around the desert. And they just, they're like little kids. They're, they're like little kids lost at the county fair. They don't have a clue what's going on. They don't have good capacity to make good decisions, okay? Moses couldn't leave them alone without them getting into some kind of trouble or start a major rebellion. And God, on the other hand, was ready to wipe them all out and start over with just Moses' offspring. Moses, we can do this. You and I and the family, we can do this. We can start over. I, I'll just get rid of them all. We'll just snuff them all out. And Moses stood in the gap for these knucklehead people, okay? It wasn't the first time, won't be the last time. Moses went to bat for the children of Israel. I want you to see that. Maybe he couldn't speak so well, huh? That Aaron had to be his mouthpiece, but he was a good leader and he knew about God's presence. That's one of the keys that I want you to see in all of this. So what can we learn from this chapter about the deliberation or being deliberate by Moses? Well, For your own life, you will never find strength in God if it's not your first priority in your life. If you're not deliberate in your pursuit of God, this is a struggle that we all have. I've been in the ministry, what, uh, 42 years, okay? Been saved since I was five years old. That's a long time. And yet, I'll go through seasons, and it's just a struggle to pray, I feel like the heavens are brass. I'm like, what's the problem here, God? Did you go on break or what's the deal? Are you on vacation? God never sleeps, never slumbers, hasn't changed in a million and some odd years, whatever, in an eternity. It's all about us, okay? 
So it's been the same struggle for mankind that we've dealt with throughout our lifetime, throughout history. So the pursuit of Jesus and our relationship with him has to be the first and foremost thing in your life and in my life. Matthew 6.33, a verse that we all know well, says this, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you as well. If we can be deliberate in our priorities with God, our time with God, then everything else in our lives will fall into place. It's amazing. Teresa and I were, were uh, we went to the bank the other day and deposited my paycheck and she went home and sat down at her calculator and balanced everything out. And she says, don't ask me how we're doing it because we had to take a cut and pay when finances went upside down. We lost a renter here at the church and, and that was a few months ago. And so we just basically been putting it in the bank and trusting God to take care of everything. She says, I don't know how we did it, but she says, we're actually putting money in savings right now and all the bills are paid. God just amazes me when we're deliberate with him. He's faithful with us. Amen. God is good all the time. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Everything else will be added to you. Okay. God is good about that. Number two today for you note takers. We have to make sure it's guarded. We have to make sure that it's guarded. Remember the story here we just read? Moses puts Joshua, son of Nun, out at the tent. And that's all Joshua does. He guards the tent of meeting. That's his job. Oswald Chambers, anybody ever heard of him before? He's a very well-known author. And he wrote a devotional called My Utmost for His Highest. My utmost for his highest. Most of you have met our son, tall kid that comes and sits on the end of the pew here every once in a while. That's Austin. And uh, Austin had that tattooed on his forearm when he was a teenager. He uh, Austin went through some funny things as a kid. He was into punk rock. He had three colored hair. He wore a lot of leather with a lot of metal studs and pins and stuff all over it. Played in a punk band for years. And we were complicit because we'd put him in the big SUV that we had and we'd drive him to the shows. I wanted the boy to enjoy his life. I didn't want to be legalistic and hamper him. But Austin came through all that. And when he really had this major experience with the Lord in his life, he went and had that tattooed on his forearm, my utmost for his highest. I'm proud of him. I love him because his, he's got a heart after God. So Oswald Chambers says this in his devotional. He says, an unguarded strength is a double weakness. Let me say that again. An unguarded strength is a double weakness. Think of it this way. A wall around a city is built at the top of a mountain. One of the walls faces a cliff that has a thousand foot solid rock drop off. No one has ever been able to scale that rock face. So they never put a guard on that wall until a new enemy comes along. One who also lives in the mountains and has experience in climbing rock faces. A small contingent of enemy soldiers climb the rock face, scale the wall, sneak into the city, kill the guards at the gate, and throw the gate open, allowing the entire enemy army to enter and destroy the city. An unguarded strength is a double weakness. Can you apply that to your own life? We allow things to get into our life. We allow things to get into our personal space that should not be there. And we allow things to interrupt our daily devotional, our time 
with Father God and it becomes a double weakness in our lives. That's why you have to guard your time with God. Moses understood this probably better than anybody on the face of the earth at that point in time. That's why he put his most trusted aid out at the tent. As I mentioned, I would say Joshua had a great job. I don't know what it all entailed. The Bible doesn't give us that description. But if you're just hanging out at the house of God 24-7, it can't be all bad, right? Can't be all bad. Got to be some benefits to that. And here's the reason. Moses didn't want anything or anyone to interrupt because he treasured the tangible presence of God so much in his life. Now, if you'll make the effort to be deliberate and guard your time with God, something supernatural and wonderful will happen in your life. I guarantee it. Something supernatural and wonderful will happen in your life and in your world. Verse 9 tells us that the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Here's my thought here. God wants to speak. With each and every one of us. Amen? God wants to spend time with each and... Think about that for a minute. The creator, the sustainer, the ruler of everything wants one-on-one time with you and with me. That's his heart's desire. That's something to just pause and go, wow, that's good. That's good. I serve a good God. I serve a father who is faithful. Amen? That's the intimate nature of God. That's what I call the Father's heart of God. Amen? Number three today. Moses knew intimacy with God. The key word there is intimacy. Moses knew intimacy with God. This was not what I would call a dull religious experience. This was Moses' life. This was his passion, okay? Time alone with God is not supposed to be some kind of dull repetition punching a spiritual time clock just to put in your time, okay? Sometimes we get that way on our jobs. We go to our job. Those of you that are retired, count your blessings. Because sometimes we go to our job, we punch a time clock, we put in our time, and we're just doing it because we got to do it. Other days, it's joyous. But some days are not always that way. So this whole thing of finding intimacy with God is not meant to be that punching of just a spiritual time clock, putting in your time and being weary. It's really meant to be your very life's blood. Amen? Your life's blood. Your source of strength. God's presence and God's word. It should be what gives you peace when everything else around you has fallen apart. It's crumbling. It's crashing around you. It's the thing that will give you peace when everything else life can throw at you is taking its soul. Let me ask you this. Are you having a good day? Pray. Okay? Pray. You having a terrible day? Pray. Okay? If the sun is shining, the weather's perfect, and you're getting along with everyone? Pray. Or you're in the middle of an ice storm, you're rolled over in the ditch, it's pitch black, and your cell phone has died? I would definitely pray. Okay? Moses knew the key to prayer. He understood the importance. He dwelt in what is what I would call the tangible presence of God. Probably so thick you could cut it with a knife, so to speak, as the old saying goes. My little brother that, that Larry mentioned, he pastors a church of 12,000 in Northern California. They have seven different campuses around the Bay Area. 
And uh, Dave calls it the felt presence of God. You go into their services, the presence of God is so strong, all I can do is just stand there with my hands raised and cry like a baby for 45 minutes to an hour. But they understand it. They're a praying church like nobody I've ever seen before. They understand the felt presence of God. You can you walk on their campus, you walk into their building, and you know that God's presence is in that place. I remember walking through the building on the weekend that they were gonna they were going to uh, dedicate the building. There was nobody there but David and Teresa and I, and their administrator was giving a, another walkthrough tour to another couple that were friends of theirs. There were only six of us in the whole building, and it's huge. And I could sense the presence of God in the place. It's just amazing. Most of us here have felt God in our worship times, in our services. The songs are being sung. The Holy Spirit enters the place. God honors His, God honors worship, worshiping His name. And the presence of God fills the place. A lot of us have felt that in our worship time. We've even felt God's word penetrate our heart, maybe with conviction. As the word is being preached, as the word is being delivered, maybe something strikes a chord in our heart, and we may even feel the presence of God in that moment to the point that we go out and we make a change in our lifestyle, we make a change in our ways because of that presence that we sensed. Let me ask you this. Anyone felt what you call the terrible presence of God? Now, I couldn't find verse chapter and verse for that, but I know it exists. Talking about the ter- terrible presence of God is a presence so overwhelming that in your flesh, it makes you extremely uncomfortable. Yeah, the conviction of the Holy Spirit is so thick, you can cut it with a knife. There are times in history where the presence of God has fallen in a place so strong that sinners were saved and nobody had to say a word to them. Okay, the taverns were emptied. I'll tell you, let me read you. This happened in 1949 in the country of Scotland. Let me read this story to you because I I can read it better than I can tell it. Okay, a Presbyterian minister named Duncan Campbell was preaching his heart out to the local villagers for years with very little response to his ministry. One Sunday, a young man visited the church and responded to the salvation message and was weeping at the front of the church over his sin and over his lost family members. Pastor Campbell saw this and realized that he had gotten a little jaded about the things of God and was stricken in his heart over his own coldness. He realized this brand new convert was closer to God than maybe he had been for years. He came down from the pulpit and asked that the man pray for him and for the church. The man began to sob out a prayer, and three lines into the prayer... The manifest or terrible presence of God fell in that little church. For the next several hours, people wailed and worshipped, interceded and wept for the lost, and prayed that the power and presence of God would go beyond the walls of their little church and into their surrounding community. The taverns emptied and people who were accustomed to stumbling from intoxication were now stumbling under the weighty presence of God. There was a dance at the local school, For the young people that evening, and the power of God entered the dance hall, and the young people, over a hundred of them, ran from the dance hall and came into the church. This event was called the Hebrides Revival and was covered by major news outlets 
And besides the Brownsville revival in Pensacola, Florida of 1995, was one of the most independently verifiable religious events in modern history. It is said that there wasn't a single person on the island that didn't have a direct encounter with God. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Something to be said about encountering God's presence. It always... He always does his job. Amen? Amen. Never fails us. Never lets us down. I thought about my in my own lifetime. I grew up in a Pentecostal church. It was a praying church in Roseburg, Oregon. Larry and Grace were there. They, they know that group of people very well. They were a praying church. We had encounters in our services that were very much that way sometimes. And I, re, I was thinking about my own life as I was reading that story and putting notes together. In the late 1970s, we were worshiping in an old building downtown and uh, didn't have any air conditioning. So on summer days, you just had to knock the windows open, kick the windows open and worship. And all the neighbors had to suffer for it, you know, because we were not quiet Pentecostal people. But on this particular Sunday, there were three ladies in the church that were all close friends. And they drove from the adjacent little town of Myrtle Creek, Oregon. It was about a 30-minute drive for them to actually come to church, come up the high five quarter and come to church. And uh, these ladies had been coming for months. They'd been very faithful. And they were praying for their three husbands who were all good friends. Well, that morning, when the church doors opened and everyone came in, the three ladies came in and their husbands were with them. Everybody was a little shocked, to say the least. These guys were drinkers, partiers, boozers. They were a little bit rowdy, to say the least. And they came in that morning, and they sat with their wives, and the building was packed. There was just, it was wall-to-wall bodies. We had had a great work time of worship, and the Holy Spirit moved. And Dad was up preaching, and preaching about the prodigal son. And I would say he probably got halfway through it. He got about to the point where the prodigal was coming back down that dusty road. And the Holy Spirit moved in that room like I will never forget. And uh, it was that terrible presence of God I talked about. It was awesome. And you could feel it on your skin. And these three guys, these three party animals, got up before J.B. ever finished his sermon. And they walked down. And they knelt at an altar, side by side, shoulder to shoulder. And their wives followed And then the other 250 people pounced on him and began to pray for salvation. And it was amazing. It was, it was just one of those times in life where you would never forget that occurrence. Now, all three of those men, that was in the late 1970s. All three of those men are still serving God to this day that I know of. Saw one of them a while back at his place of business in Sutherland. And uh, they're still serving God, still doing well. God has blessed their lives. And the one gentleman has even in his, turned his life over to God to the point that they became missionaries to Sri Lanka and have served God on the mission field there for a number of years. So God does some amazing things. What I can't imagine is what life would be at, like without the presence of God. The psalmist said it the best in Psalm 51 and 11. He said, do not cast me away from your presence, O Lord. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. 
I don't know about you, but that would be my prayer today. I don't want to live without the manifest presence of God in my life. I thought about that. What would life be if we didn't have the presence of God? You know, we could preach the best sermons ever, teaching team, but nothing doesn't matter. Nothing will happen out of that. Tiffany and Randy could lead the best worship, better than the Hillsong folks, but without the presence of God, it, it would just fall flat. Amen? We can have the best of everything, but unless God's tangible presence is here in this place with us, we're wasting our time. You can go through the motions. You can attend every service when the doors are open. You can give every dime you have. But unless we seek God's presence, both individually and corporately, unless we find that special place and time to meet with Father God, it's all a wasted effort, is it not? Mm. Desires intimacy with us. That's why I wanted to mention this whole effect of Moses experiencing intimacy with God. Verse 11 in our text tells us that God spoke to Moses as a friend. I don't know about you, but I want to be counted as a friend of God. Um, we sing that song, I am a friend of God. And when I sing it, I sing it with all my heart because I believe it. I believe it with all my heart. You know, the ultimate expression of friendship, I think, is marriage. Teresa and I have been married, let me see if I can get this right, 44 years? Is that that right, honey? Wow, 45 come in June. Wow, 44 years we've been married. We know each other pretty well. We can kind of figure out what the other one wants to eat sometimes. Sometimes. Sometimes we just sit in the car in dead silence until we figure it out. Um... And I know Larry and Grace have been married longer. And some of you here have been married longer than that. So you understand, I can honestly say that Teresa Marie is my closest friend on the planet. I I can't think of anybody else I'd rather hang out with. Um, we have great talks. We have great conversation. We enjoy loving on our, our grandkid. Huh. Together. Together. But marriage is this commitment, I think, where we would probably lay down our lives for our spouse. That's the thought that crossed my mind is, I don't know anybody else on the face of the earth that I would take a bullet for other than my wife and my family. And so marriage is is a real serious commitment. And here's an interesting thought. We're called the bride of Christ. The body of Christ is called, in the book, in the Bible, the bride of Christ. And why is that? Because Jesus wants just that kind of relationship with you and me. He laid down his life for you and for me that we could have that kind of relationship. And we can have it even better when we're delivered in our lives, when we guard our time with God, and when we strive To have intimacy with Him. When we have intimacy with Him, that is the point in time in our lives when we will hear His voice. Amen? And I don't know about you, but I want to hear His voice. I don't want to be shooting in the dark, wondering what's going on. Okay? I want to hear His voice loud and clear in my life. Now, as I get to point number four, I'm going to ask the musicians to come back, and we're going to close our service With a live song today, not a video clip. I'm I'm a little gun-shy on the video clips at this point in time. 
So we're going to have the band come back and we're going to close our service. But let me get to number four here as they're coming to the stage. Number four today, if you're a note taker, we will be recognized. If you've been in the presence of God, you will be recognized. Verse eight in our text says, whenever Moses went out to the tent, what did the people do? They rose, they stood at the entrances of their tent, watching Moses until he entered into the tent. Okay, and then you skip down a couple of verses to number 10. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each at the entrance to their tent. They knew what was going on in there. They'd seen the glow on his face, and he had to wear a veil to cover it. Otherwise, they couldn't even hardly look on him. So whenever they saw the pillar of cloud there, they stood at their entrance of their tent, and they worshipped God and gave praise and thanks. Intimacy with God in your life, will spread like wildfire. I guarantee you. It will spread like wildfire. An effective, fervent prayer life is as contagious as COVID-19. Don't you think? Probably more so. You know, I don't know where all of you work, but I'm sure that sometime in the course of your job career, you've had to sit down at a lunch table in a lunchroom somewhere, crack open your lunch bucket, pray over your meal, and there you go. Have your lunch. And do you know that if you will make sure and be faithful, that little act of praying over your lunch, bowing your head, saying a prayer. I've heard stories of non-believers approaching Christians that said, hey, I noticed you prayed over your lunch. Would you mind praying for me? I'm going through a really tough time. I'm going through a divorce or this or that or the other thing, or we're going through a financial hardship. Would you pray for me? People are going to know your witness Because you've been in the presence of God. Amen? Just like the Hebrides revival and the Brownsville revival that I mentioned, people are going to take notice. When the Brownsville revival was going on in 1995 in in Pensacola, Florida, people from all over the world would get on an airplane and fly there and go to that Assembly of God church just to find out what was going on, just to experience this overwhelming and tangible presence of God. People are going to grow hungry for what you have. It's just that simple. People are going to grow hungry for what you have. And here's the key to this whole passage of Scripture in, found in 32, 33, and 34. Uh, in 33 verses 15, 13 through 15, I didn't read it in, in the beginning, going to read it now. If you are pleased with this is Moses talking. He's talking to God. He says, if you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. I underline that part because I want God to always be teaching me his ways. Don't want my ways to be at the forefront. I want his ways and I want to know him and continue to find favor with him. And he said, remember that this nation is your people, God. And the Lord replied, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. I need to pray that one on Saturday night before I lay my head on the pillow to speak on a Sunday morning. My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And I might throw in there good rest. Verse 15, then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. That should also be our prayer. Father God, If your presence is not with me, please help me find it again. 
Because I don't want to try to go through life and make it a guessing game or banging my head on a brick wall or whatever. I want to know you. I want to love you. I want to serve you. But if your presence doesn't go with us, do not send us up from here. Moses knew what he was talking about. Amen? Amen. When Jesus is lifted up in your life, he will begin to draw people unto himself through you. You are his vessel. You are his hands. You are his feet. You are his mouthpiece. When that happens, we become salt and light, as the word declares. That's what we're called to become, is the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Those are the things that God is asking of us. Amen? One more verse before we sing this song. Verse 17 in our text says, And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked, because I am pleased with you, and I know you by name. How many of you want God to look you in the eye and say, you know what? I am pleased with you, and I know you by name. Can't think of a better prayer. Amen? Can't think of a better response from Father God. Stand with us today. Let me pray over you today before we go. I love it that God knows my name. That even on my bald head, He knows how much hair is left. It says He counts every one of them. It's a real easy thing to do for me and for Vernon. Amen? Some of you, it's a little more entailed. But I'm so grateful that I serve a God that wants to be personally involved in my life. And that I can be as something as simple as sitting in my office, working on notes, or listening to worship on YouTube or whatever, and the Holy Spirit will just fill the office to... And it just, that's my tent of meeting. I go in that little front room, close the door, it's just me and God. Boy, what a, not a better place to be that I could think of. So, I just want to give you words of encouragement today. Wherever your tent of meeting is, whether it's the cab of your truck or a room in your home, pastor says it's his chair out, out in the front room, wherever it is for you, I want to encourage you, be deliberate. Be diligent. Follow hard after God. Amen? Let me pray over you today. Father, we're so grateful today that you love us and that you call us your friend. Lord, and like Moses of old, we just want to be in your presence. So grateful for your Father's heart toward us that you take us into your arms and you hold us. You carry us when it's needed. You love on us. And you'll never fail us. We're so thankful for that today. Thank you, Lord, for this group of people, their love for you, their faithfulness to you and to this house of worship. I pray your hand of blessing on them. Let their lives be fruitful. Let the seed multiply, I pray. And may many come to know you through their witness, I pray. Bless them as they go about their week this week. Give them a hedge of protection and guardian angels, we pray. And make your face to shine upon them.